edition of the Community Development Podcast, doing what it says in the tin, sharing community development learning and practice, promoting its value and connecting the practitioners. My name is Russell Todd and I have the pleasure via Skype of being joined by Steve Skinner. How are you, Steve? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, just saying hello here up in Leeds in Yorkshire. We've got a lovely sunny day here. The sun has just come out. When we were preparing this and looking at the weather, it had clouded over, but it's come out and I'm hoping that's a metaphor for this podcast and this conversation. A little bit of housekeeping on my part first. This is episode number seven. It's been a little bit of a break since we last had one available. That episode was with Prisons Education Trust, Jamie Grundy, freelance prison education specialist. We were talking about how prisoners are empowered through education and ex-prisons, ex-offenders. And what was a really fascinating conversation in that was how we might or might not consider prisoners as a community, whether they identify themselves as a community, what sort of challenges any identification as a community poses for the authorities in the broadest sense. And there's other episodes there as well, looking at the role of community development in heritage-led regeneration up in North Wales. In Brumbo near Wrexham, we had a conversation to kick the podcast off with Alan Twelvetrees, you know, an author practitioner of many years' experience, author of the, you know, one of the seminal community development texts in the, in the UK back in the early 80s. Uh, we looked at community development in a playwork context. We've discussed community philosophy and we've got a load more on the shelf ready to launch as well. But today, Steve, we're going to be talking about sort of stronger communities. And you've got a book to that effect with Hargrave Macmillan, Developing Stronger Communities. We're going to talk a little bit about that, what stronger communities are, how we might describe them, what, what are the, the building blocks for those. But what do people need to know about you, Steve? I've been involved in community development um, work and activities for quite a long time. I did a community work training course actually with Alan Twelve Trees in Swansea um, in my late 20s, which um, was really good. It really kind of pushed me on. I worked in the arts for a while, worked um, for a number of voluntary organisations, also for a government agency, the Community Development Foundation, I was there for a few years, and um, ended up in Bradford Council, uh, doing a lot of community involvement activities. Love Bradford, a real live and kicking city and district. And so what kind of local authority experience is then? years I've been a freelancer. I do some work for the lottery, the big local program, working back at the cold base in quite deprived communities around the north of England, which I'm, I really love a lot. It really means a lot to me. And I do work with local authorities and voluntary organisations, all sorts of training and facilitation work. So quite, quite a mixed picture, really. No clear career pathway or anything like that, but um, I kind of do believe passionately in community development, community empowerment, those sorts of terms whatever they mean but um there very rarely is a clear career path for the likes of us though in this in this field <laughs> you've got this book coming out you've authored and published other texts and, and publications as well tell me about the book what are the origins of it i hear this term strong or stronger communities quite a lot really for example a lot of local authorities have adopted the term and also you know working in neighborhoods i'm working for northern cities um, doing a lot of community work, and um, people talk about you know, how how can we be you know better organised? How can we be stronger communities? How can we do things um, for each other more effectively, and so on? So it seems like a, 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 it's been quite a current issue. Years ago, there was that term capacity building that described to some extent a similar area. And I have to confess, I wrote a handbook or two on capacity building. I think I prefer the term stronger communities or building stronger communities to me that's more everyday language um, which I try and use so I'm very interested to know um, what what people think of that term you know how would we define a stronger community I've got um, I've had bash at defining it myself sort of thing through a lot of consultation 
dialogue, debates in different communities and, and also with local authorities as well. So keen to sort of share that really and see what, what people think of that. So that's some of the background. Um, I'm not an academic. I certainly read widely and I try and draw on research. I'm very interested in um, research in this field where, where there is some. It's not a lot really, but you know, mainly my experience on this comes from working in and with communities. But um, yeah, I'm very interested in the term stronger communities. How do we define that? What does that mean? And with the work hat on, I've been involved of late with critiquing, I suppose, in the broader sense, resilient communities as a term. And that's something that the Welsh Government in, in Wales uh, have been talking about. And I suppose if we were to draw stronger communities and resilient communities as a Venn diagram, there's probably a significant overlap in the middle. But I'm always, you know, language is important. And I think things can be interpreted in different ways. And certainly what you sort of said about trying to use everyday language, I think is absolutely key. And resilience might have more of an environmental or an ecological meaning in certain circles. Yeah. And if we're talking with maybe coastal communities or communities that are, if this was sort of more of an international development type podcast, an audience in the Maldives or sub-Saharan Africa or, you know, the Amazon or something like that, then I think resilience has a very fundamental different meaning, potentially. And it's not about what, what, what is wrong or right, but I think it's about being clear what we actually mean. Yeah, absolutely. That term, um, I've, I've got, uh, I'm going to go trying to define um, stronger communities. I've got seven key sort of elements or features and Resilience is one of those. It's drawing on the work, for example, of the local government information unit. They're a national network of local authorities, particularly led by councillors. And they use the term resilient communities to good effect, particularly if looking at areas where there's been some sort of crisis. Like obviously, we've had a lot of flooding up here in Yorkshire in the last, to say the least. And a key issue is how do people respond? You know, is there uh, the communities around, say, a flood area able to? get in there, help each other, be very active. Certainly in Leeds, uh, nearly a year ago, there was a tremendous uh, response, volunteers and help, and then it showed that, that I think you could say there was a lot of resilience in, in the area. So that's one aspect of it. It, it tends to be about coping well, uh, perhaps surviving well. So I think we need as well, if you like, more positive ways of describing stronger communities. And a couple of things I'm interested in is to say it would probably be an active community in on a geographical sense? Good question. It's quite widely known the idea that as well as communities of place, we have communities of interest. Another one that I think is very important, communities of identity. Communities of interest usually means where people share some concern, if you like, whereas identity is, is a much deeper thing, like people perhaps who have a Mm. So we probably 
fashion, um, sometimes uh, people bond together because they're all poor in a nutshell. Mm. And uh, you know that seems important as well. Certainly in the book, trying to unpack some of those terms and issues and always keen to hear what people's experiences are of using those sort of ideas about how we define communities. That there's been a tremendous amount of work on defining communities you know, from an academic point of view. And I don't want to stray too far into quite complex debates and so on, but I think we need to be aware of some of the main pitfalls. I think the issue of online community, I think, is a fascinating one because and it was something that we, again, in, in some of the recent work with the work hat on, it was something I really wanted to add to, to the mix, if you like, because within Communities First in Wales, there was, in its very, very first iteration, there was a very clear understanding, and this is at the, the, the turn of the, the new century, the 2000s, a very clear understanding that you needed to have more than just geographies of place. And so we had what we called partnerships around black and ethnic minority communities, there was a, a partnership around people experiencing domestic abuse in, in one local authority area. There was um, some deep rural partnerships which recognised that rurality brings with it both a sense of place but also certain sort of shared characteristics in terms of Welsh language, then also a linguistic uh, dimension as well. And, and there were others. And I think it got a little bit designed out of the programme in terms of the apparatus of the programme, in terms of like the partnerships and the structure but in terms of the understanding, I think it, what, it, what it helped us do was bed in an understanding across the workforce in other areas, even in those areas that were communities first eligible and defined simply by the stats related to deprivation, for instance. It nonetheless helped us understand that within that community, there are more communities. And I think that was, was really important. But I think, you know, you look at some, some countries, but certain maybe people who are sharing kind of protected characteristics, they can maybe express themselves in terms of gender and faith sexuality in different ways but maybe they only feel comfortable and safe enough to do so online and that's where they're I don't know seeking some solidarity it's where they're able to be creative and, and, and so on it comes back to some sort of Maslow's needs I suppose they can only do it online and I think it's probably something that we need to recognize as community development workers is something that is in addition to or, or, or kind of overlaps or, or, or whatever the term might be with our more maybe traditional forms of, of community yeah. I've seen social media being used very effectively, for example, in some of the big local areas, to complement you know, face-to-face um, community events. So it's not kind of one or the other. But using the two in parallel is really well Absolutely. done, really yeah, effective. Yeah. But I think what's interesting is, and this is not to say that communities of place or communities of identity don't evolve and change, they clearly do, but the technology that drives things like social media, digital platforms, different app technology, for instance. You know, We weren't talking about WhatsApp even five years ago. We weren't talking about Facebook 15 years ago when communities first started. Facebook hadn't even been invented. So it moved so quickly. And I think that's always going to be something that's going to be a fascinating thing to watch and be involved Absolutely. in. Absolutely. Half time people being left out of that media bandwagon. Some Absolutely. people are more confident than others. And I don't want to label, oh, it's always young people who are better at social media by no, no particular means. Is that true? Perhaps it draws me on to another theme we're looking at in the book is that in order to build stronger communities, I personally think an approach based on values around equality and diversity needs to be absolutely embedded you know, right in there all the way through. There can be examples where capacity building, training programs, whatever, are organised in an area and it tends to be the already perhaps rather dominant groups who access it and get even better organised and get more grants and have more say and more influence. And um, what I'm interested in is ways of working that are really open and will be able to involve and respond to different needs and different identities. Very easy to say that, but um, I'm, I'm hoping to have examples in the book of, of good work around that. I've got a, 
I agree. And I think, I think what's interesting when you're talking about, you know, there is a danger through that, maybe that grant culture where you have a degree of capacity already in a community that the, the process can go in and work with those people. And you can almost, I suppose, unintentionally further intense qualities, whether that's on a spatial basis or, or, yeah, or in different groups, because yeah. you can see the, you know, it's the race for the prize and, you know, the grant is available. I think some of the things that we talk about with the work hat on is about the state has to, even if its intentions are well-meaning, there can be harm done and, you know, there should be a presumption to do no harm, at, 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 you know, in everything that we do when we're trying to intervene. And I think sometimes we can we can be a bit over-eager or a bit over-enthusiastic or you, you kind of clutch for the low-hanging fruit or something and the target culture doesn't help sometimes. That's right. And, um, you know, this whole idea that capacity needs to be built just in communities, as opposed to my view, is I think public services and, and larger voluntary organisations equally need to look at how they're organised and how much they really work with communities well. I think there's some great examples around that and also in some cases, you know, people still being feel feel feeling they're being kind of done to by mm. public services with with only perhaps token opportunities to have a say. So it's something else I'm hoping to look at in the book, how how can public services kind of develop different ways of supporting communities and having a more empowering approach to around services and activities in communities. So it's looking at what's happening in communities in different ways and also trying to take a look at the environment, the infrastructure. Well, that was another question I had. I mean, you do look at it from across the sort of spectrum of, of sectors because different programmes will be run in different ways and the state operates increasingly in different ways now with devolution across the UK. So you've got different policy drivers as well. So, so, so stronger communities are a desire from a great many different programmes. So you're looking quite broadly across sectors at it? Well, I hope to, yeah. I've done quite a lot of work in Scotland where they've got the Community Empowerment Act, uh, which I think is a very interesting sort of vehicle to work in some new ways, particularly a partnership-based approach involving local authorities and communities and people having opportunities to have a bit more clout around serve design of services and joint delivery and so on. Very interesting to, to see what's happening there. And also the Scottish Community Development Centre published a handbook on strengthening communities um, well, about four years ago now. Well, I can refer to that and draw on that as well. Very interesting bit of work that they were involved in there. And I'm, I'm hoping to have examples from different parts of the UK and I want to try to draw people in with this publication so you're really welcome if anybody has examples that they really want to share with me that I can have a look at and maybe include in the book. We'll have some contact details on the webpage but I think it's interesting when you have something like the Scottish Empowerment Act there's probably an overlap there if you were to kind of Venn diagram these but in Wales we've got the, the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act. You know, it mandates public bodies at least to be much more thoughtful about the developments that they're undertaking about their long-term yeah. sustainability the impact on future yeah. generations and yeah. at the heart of that is a, a requirement to, to, to engage and, it, and it's not just do some engagement. It's got to be quality and effective engagement. I think it's, it, is a, it is potentially a game changer, but these things are a real slow burn. They don't yeah. change things overnight. By definition, it's about the future generations and it will be a slow burn. And it's difficult to demonstrate that it's having an impact, for instance, when you know auditors or politicians and, and, and scrutiny committees, etc., are wanting to see proof of change. It's really, really difficult to sometimes to pinpoint it. I think it kind of challenges orthodoxies that might exist in different parts of the UK when you've got different acts happening. And I think, frankly, from my point of view, living in Wales, that's one of the good things about devolution. It keeps ourselves on our toes. One bit of it is doing this, another bit's doing that, and it's forever kind of up in the bar 
in terms of what we're trying to achieve. And I'd love to, to take this podcast to, to Scotland and take it to Northern Ireland, where I know there's some really fascinating work as well, and pick some of that, scratch beneath the surface, and, and try to sort of, as I say, go back to one of the basics objectives of this podcast, is to share some of that learning, because we can sometimes be a bit eyes down, and we can be a bit, um, dare I say, a bit parochial as well in this sort of work. Yeah, but, that's kind of related to how I'm attempting in the book to divide the material up. And what we've touched on briefly so far is the idea that strength in communities needs to be firmly based on values of equality and diversity. And the approach I want to use is that there's four main kind of building blocks around that, and one of them is building equality. And the second one is what we've just been talking about, which is more to do with involvement. How do you involve people effectively? Um, so we could call that building involvement as the second kind of main theme of strong, uh, how, how one goes about building stronger communities. Um, but there's two other themes about people and about organisations. So I'm dividing the material up under four headings there, building people, building organisations, building involvement and building equality. And I'm hoping it will be a resource book. It will be very practical. This is a, a book for what I call practitioners, people who may have some element of engagement with communities already, either unpaid as a volunteer or as, say, like a leader of chair of a community organisation or a local authority officer or voluntary sector worker or elected member and so on. And um, it's meant to be a resource book for people in a wide range of settings. It's not aimed at, at full-time dedicated community workers. It's much broader than that, really. So it's got a, a kind of model in it of four key themes. Um, and that origins of that go back to work that was done in Scotland quite a while ago. That original model was called ABCD, Achieving Better Community Development. Now, interestingly, ABCD is now known as asset-based community development that largely has come from the States. It's unfortunate that they they used the same initials, (laughs) but there you go. The original ABCD, I think, was a tremendous community development model, and, and it's been developed and changed and adapted. And what I'd like to think is what we're doing now with it is applying it directly to the current context. We need to be real about this. We need to look at what's happening in communities in the light of Brexit, increased racism and discrimination, I think, that's happening. Cutbacks in services, you know, that's why I welcome feedback from people who are listening. I, I want to make sure this really reflects what's happening at the coalface. And there are some kind of external factors I suppose driving a lot of what we're or influencing a lot of what we're trying to achieve in communities and it's um, mm. it's difficult it's fast paced and it's hard to keep track of what the it's hard to predict as well because it's, it's challenging some real kind of mm. fundamental norms if you like for mm. instance being part of the European Union has been something that's just been the case for a number of years now and, and it's really kind of undermining some of those established yeah. kind of norms and routines I suppose absolutely um, yeah and as well a lot of local authorities are saying well we've suffered tremendous reductions in our budgets we don't want to do this but we're going to have to for example you know close the community centre we, we can't afford to fund it anymore can the community step in and run it on their own, please, or the library even, you know, can they run the library with volunteers? That raises a tremendous number of questions about is the term stronger community sometimes being used as a bit of a cop-out, really, for reductions in services, lowering the standard of living in an area, and expecting people to step in and do it themselves with no resources. Now, I'm very cautious about that use of it, and that is happening. But, you know, there are local authorities, at least in England, that I know of, who are in effect, adopting that way of working. And they may even call it community empowerment. So I do think we need real clarity here about the terms 
we're using and what the outcomes are, what we're aiming to get out of these things and what values are informing it so that we're not dragged into areas perhaps that we're not so happy with. It's a sober note, and I've, but it's, I think it's a really important one. And, I, and I've read stuff around how you know the term resilient communities then, for instance, which, as I said, we've been using a little bit more in, in Wales, but how that is a euphemism for justifying the hollowing out of the welfare state, eroding people's yeah. rights. There is a danger that, although if you look at maybe on paper, something like asset transfer then, for instance, yeah. it can have positive messages and positive intentions for communities yeah. and can empower it if it's done properly. Mm. But if people yeah. are just being, if communities are just receiving, you know, the uh, the white elephants or the, the, the albatrosses, yeah. that, you know, then that's actually that's right. very disempowering. And again, it comes yeah. back to this concept yeah. that actually we can do harm if, if, we're, if we're careless. It's up for yeah, local groups to decide how they want to respond. And that's something I'm trying to cover in the book is looking at what I'm calling a wheel of participation. In the past, there's been what's called a, a ladder of participation. It's come from people like Arnstein and somebody called David Wilcox. Very useful frameworks and models, a ladder of participation where you kind of go up the ladder and, become more empowered usually as you go up lots of problems with the ladder as an image and i'm hoping a wheel of participation that i'm working on will actually solve some of those problems certainly one of the kind of spokes on the wheel for participation is making changes it's like campaigning it's taking a stand against racism against cuts in services and that would be working with other groups like horizontal engagement rather than vertical and that is an option you know that is one direction some people may want to go in other options are self-help or working jointly with a local authority and so on i'm not promoting one particular line i want to make sure people have considered a range of options and a range of alternatives and and that we're all myself included hopefully involved in being sort of self-conscious about what we're doing and what it means kind of thing i've got a lot to learn on all these things as well and uh, i think part of my role is acting as a bit of a gatherer in of what people are doing so you know looking ahead i hope this wheel of participation which i think is a bit of new work will help to push things on a bit really that sounds fascinating and maybe maybe we can revisit the wheel concept um it's always difficult to talk about visual images and concepts and an audio medium like this but uh, we can we can maybe give it a go it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you what do people need to know about the book in terms of the the plugs availability timetables things like that well i'm very flattered that it's going to be published by palgrave macmillan who are a high profile international publisher i'll be writing it in the next nine months and it will um, be published in spring of 2019 quite a lengthy process really I'm collecting information. I'm trying to meet a lot of people in the next few months in communities to hear what people are particularly concerned about. I want to make this up to date and as real as possible. So I appreciate feedback from anybody listening to get in touch and particularly listeners in Wales. I'd like to hear what you think we really need to cover in this sort of publication. There's an open invitation to people. I hope people sort of take that. We'll put some contact details on the website. Yeah. And happy to sort of funnel those through to you or, or be the conduit for that. And I think that would be excellent. Best of luck with the, the writing and the... Thank you. What was the phrase you used? The the collection of experiences? Yeah, gathering. Gathering. gathering things in. Gathering, that was it. That was it. Your hunter-gatherer experiences now over the coming weeks and months. So we'll put the contact details on the website, as I say. Our website is www.thecommunitydevelopmentpodcast.co.uk does what it sort of says in the tin, really. Follow us on Twitter as well, at com, C-O-M-M-D-E-V-T, devd podcast, at com, devd podcast. 
where we can share some feedback to yourself as well and hopefully people can get in touch and contribute to it. I think these sort of texts are always much more irrespective of what they're trying to communicate. They're much more vibrant when it's grounded in practice and people's real lived experiences, whether that's in a, whether that's in a paid or an unpaid experience. Once again, best of luck with that and thank you for joining us, Steve. Yeah, thank you. I've really enjoyed talking. Thanks so much.